Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. Following the Ag PhD Soils Clinic that we've been putting on here for the last couple of days, I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We do have a live audience. We are going to take questions from the audience today. You can also email us questions radio at agphd.com. Hey, yep, and before we go any further, I just want to say, and for our live audience too, um, we, we do have AgroLiquid here, and we do have the people from Soil Warrior here uh, talking about strip till. So if you're interested in talking to them uh, yet today, please go ahead and do so, and we want to thank them a lot for being here as well. Uh, so we've been talking about soils nonstop for two days, and I just made the comment yesterday, yeah, this may not seem like the most exciting workshop you could ever go to in your life, but what's most exciting for me being on the farm, being a lifetime uh, agronomist, living on the farm most of my life and everything, it's raising better yields and figuring out what do we need to do to make more money on the farm, make more yield, leave our land in better condition, and fertility just means so much for that. So we got to do a great job on that fertility side, and then uh, then everything looks better. Our the seed varieties we raise look better. Our weed control looks better. Everything is better. All right, so we're going to get to questions in our audience here, and if you would uh, for us, please give us your first name and the state where you're from, we'd appreciate that. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Todd. I'm from central Minnesota. I'm really short on potassium, and I'm trying to get it into no-till. Okay. Would you take and go about three to four inches with a field cultivator, or would you heavy disc and bring it down six inches to start with? Yep. Uh, this is one of the things we've talked about real often where guys say, you know what, I want to go to no-till. I'm going to start in the future here real soon. Before then, I would do some soil testing, see where my fertility levels are at in my soil, and then I'd just get them built up. And like with P and K, and so, so some people are going to be listening today and they go, oh, well, my potassium moves in my soil. Well, yeah, if you have sand and if you have lots of rainfall, I get it. Your potassium probably does move. But for those of us in the upper Midwest here, our ground's frozen five months out of the year. We don't get a lot of rain and we have a lot of heavy soil. So the potassium just doesn't move much. So if it was me and I was going to start no-tilling, I'd put a, a big shot of P and K out there and I'd get it down into the ground where we really want to have it. And then I'd go into no-till long-term and you'll probably be in great shape. Yep. This is also your time to deal with compaction issues. If you've yep. got, say you've got a hard compaction yes. layer at eight inches or something like that, this is your one shot to break it up. We see a lot of really successful no-tillers go in, deal with that compaction with tillage, deal with some of these big fertility issues in one shot and then they can no-till for the next 30 years. Yep, good question. All right, so again, if you're here in our live audience, if you've got a question, just raise your hand. We'll come around to you with the mic. And uh, we are also taking questions today from, we had a live stream audience over the last couple of days. So we got a whole bunch of those questions to get to as well. Darren, what do you got next? Okay, uh, I got this one in from Murray. He said, I would like to strip till, but I'm a real small farmer and I don't have a massive horsepower tractor to pull it. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, is there anything economical I can do? I want to strip till so I can get my fertilizer banded. Well, you know what? There, there are a lot of different ways to band fertilizer, Murray. So the, the tillage is one thing, and the, the banding of fertilizer is a whole other thing. So if it's just a fertility play, well, you could put a 2x2 two two system on your planter or something like that and, and kind of accomplish that fertility part of the goal. Yep, you can also run with coulters. So like on our farm, we've done a lot of shank work with uh, strip till, and we've gone down 10 inches deep. 
you don't have to do that because obviously it takes a lot more horsepower to pull shanks and let's say I got 12 of them and I'm going 10 inches deep um, especially in a dry year it's it's going to take a lot to pull that so if you want to go more shallow and run coulters you absolutely could okay uh, next question I pulled soil samples the last couple of years on about one acre grids uh, but the problem is my fertilizer dealer doesn't do variable rate spreading on anything less than two and a half acre grids. Uh, they could only change the rate every 300 feet or so, not any closer than that. Uh, so they chose the point closest to their previous 16 spots in their, in this particular field throughout the data from the other samples. I, I'm just wondering, <laughs> can't they get something better to do variable rate down to an acre? Yes. Yes, yeah, they, they sure could. You might need to look for a different supplier, or you might need to do it yourself if you can invest in, in some of that technology too. Uh, okay, I got this one from John. He said, uh, thanks for the workshop. Uh, I have never had my agronomy people look at my soil tests before to make recommendations, so this may change. Hey, thanks, John. Yeah, well, hopefully it does. Okay, so I, I, I just mentioned that as we were getting going here too. It's not just about fertilizer because I, I know we're talking about fertilizer and recommendations and everything else but it's literally about everything on your farm so if you can get that fertility program right you're most likely going to have better life in your soil you're most likely going to have a better overall crop which is then going to give you crop canopy faster and thicker which means you're going to have better weed control you're going to trap more moisture in there it's going to transform things over time in your operation and I mean, fertility is just so unbelievably important. And we were talking through these soil tests over the last couple of days. It is not just NPNK. If you're just looking at NPNK, you're missing the boat. You got to look at soil pH. You got to look at base saturation, look at all the different micronutrients, the secondary nutrients, some ratios of different things. It's all important. And we'd encourage you get your own data. So look at your soil tests, look at your yield, start matching those up and just see what for you on your farm is going to pay the best because ultimately what we're trying to help you do is not just have your ground in better condition and have better fertility but we want you to make more money at the end of the day as well all right this comes from james in eastern montana you mentioned the malik three soil test being a little more economical we've got high ph soils here in eastern montana uh, is a Malik 3 an okay test for us to use? Yeah, it is. Um, we're doing that in our high pH ground as well, so it's fine. Where we see the most difference, and you're going to have a problem with the regular soil tests you've been running as well, is when you have excess lime. So that is a test you should always run and just see if you've got excess lime, nobody's results are going to be perfectly accurate. Neil Kinsey runs this cation displacement test, so at least you get a little bit better understanding but that's usually where the Malik 3 and all the tests kind of fall out of bed is when you have excess line. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We'll be right back after this. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excaldia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excaldia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excaldia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. And we're just following up the Ag PhD Soils Clinic. So obviously lots of soils related questions today. Uh, we've got a live audience here. We're taking questions from them. So you'll hear uh, people popping up here uh, as we go along. But there's also room if you want to email us questions, radio at agphd.com. Yeah, and again, if you wouldn't mind giving us your first name and the state you're from, we'd appreciate it. Go ahead. Hi, this is Kevin from Nebraska. I have sandy soil, low CCs. Okay. Uh, we were talking about the nitrogen stabilizers. Yeah. Nutrisphere, Agritane. Yep. Do any of those, are they hard on the soil biology? Are any of them better or worse on the biology, the bugs in the ground? Okay, so what what these products are going to do is they are going to interfere with some of the bio biology in the soil. And the reason why they're doing that is, be, I'm not going to say they're going to kill all the bugs. Some of the companies will say, oh, we're putting the bugs to sleep for a little while. But the point is they don't want to convert that nitrogen over to the nitrate form any faster than we have to. So we want to keep it in the ammonium form longer. So in the real short term, is there some negative to your overall soil life? Well, yeah, but it's pretty specific bacteria that they're after. But long term, we've never seen any tests showing us, oh, this is a big problem, or there's some reason why we shouldn't use those products. And for some of them, they've been out for decades now. So. I'm not worried about it. We've used them on our farm. We recommend them. I, I don't have any problem with it. I would not be scared if I was you. Okay. Uh, next question comes from Brandon, and he said, guys, you, you mentioned in soil tests that in a six-inch sample, that represents 2 million pounds. So for every three inches, that, re that refers to roughly 1 million pounds. I'm curious, would the same be true in heavy soil, in light soil, as a six-inch sample, always roughly two million pounds. That's what we figure. It's not exact, but it's going to get you relatively close, yes. Okay. Uh, get a question from Terry. You said uh, you were talking about a micronutrient, copper, earlier today, 
I'm curious, does the source of copper matter when you're trying to raise levels? Uh, I found a, a fine feed grade type copper uh, that, that I would like to use as opposed to the typical fertilizer crystal type. Do you think that'll make a difference? I don't think it will make a difference, but we've never tested that out. But no, I don't think that will one, make a difference. One thing that's kind of interesting on copper is a lot of times with copper, it takes about a full year before that really fully shows up on your soil test. And I was talking to a farmer earlier today that said he put copper on and it took a year and a half because he was exceptionally dry before that copper really started showing up on his soil test. So to me, normally when we talk about fertilizer, uh, the finer the, the grade... The, the quicker things show up. And so I, I don't doubt it. You know, it just depends on how much more it costs. If it was the same cost, I'd say, hey, that sounds like a good deal. Let's go for it. If you said it's going to cost 10 times as much, well, then I'd kind of question it a little bit and I'd do some trial work. And for Brian and me, a lot of this, like Brian's like, nope, I don't think it'll matter. And I said, yep, I think it's going to matter. So we disagreed. So if this was our farm and we were trying to build copper, what would we do? Well, we'd probably use the more expensive, finer stuff on half a field or on one field just to see what kind of results we get. And if it worked out, then, then we do it on more ground. So I would say start small before starting big, especially if it's a large price discrepancy. Yeah, uh, two other things that I, I wanted to comment on real quick. So you can use dry copper if you would like to spread that on your ground. But I just want you to think about this. If we're trying to spread a very small amount and we don't want to screw it up because like we were talking about today, if all of a sudden, instead of getting up to two parts per million, you make a mistake and all of a sudden it's 15 or 20 parts per million, that might be enough for 500 years. We don't want to screw up that bad. So we have to be particular on this. And when you're trying to spread dry at a really low rate, sometimes that can be very hard. So like with copper sulfate, even on our own farm, sometimes we've just said, you know what, let's just go liquid or we'll go with a wettable powder, put it in liquid and we'll spread it out with the sprayer. So that way we're more accurate and we just feel more confident that we're getting it done. But when you do that with copper sulfate, you got to be real careful. And we just tell people always clean the sprayer out at the end of the day. It can cause problems in the sprayer if you're leaving that overnight and especially if you did for a couple of three days. So clean it out at the end of every single day. My last comment on copper is you might, the source may matter more. It's not going to matter so much in my opinion if you're putting it out on the soil, but it may matter more if let's say you're over the top of the crop because there are people that will use copper as a bactericide and as a fungicide over the top of plant leaves. So we, we don't want to get too carried away on how much we're putting out and we, we got to be a little bit careful about the source. Yeah, as Brian said, when you're talking about micronutrients where our crops are only removing a very small amount each year, they do need it, no doubt about it. But if you put a huge amount out there, you might have enough for 500 years. And it kind of reminds me of something our dad would always say. He'd say the difference between farmers who are successful and those who aren't successful is the size of your mistakes. And you say, oh, I really screwed up on fertilizer. Yeah, I put on 500 years worth of fertilizer. That's probably a big mistake. <laughs> Let's hope it wasn't on very many acres. All right, Jay had a question on phosphorus and zinc. And he said, guys, you often talk about a phosphorus to zinc ratio. Uh, what ratio do you like specifically on phosphorus to zinc? Do you use phosphorus or phosphate 
as you have to multiply phosphorus times 2.3 to get phosphate, that could make a big difference. It absolutely could. So we were showing today running, let's see, P1 Bray tests and DTPA uh, zinc. And then we also showed Malik 3 tests for phosphorus and Malik 3 tests for zinc and what those ratios were. So we're always talking phosphorus. Never have we been talking phosphate. It's always been phosphorus versus zinc. And our ratio, whether we're talking the P1 phosphorus versus DTPA zinc or the Malik 3 phosphorus versus Malik 3 zinc, the ratio has been somewhere around 10 to 1. And we can talk about, yeah, I mean, it maybe looks like with some crops, maybe soybeans, the right ratio is somewhere closer to 6 to 1 or 8 to 1. But to Darren's point here, hey, if you really want to bump your zinc, let's say you've got relatively high phosphorus and now you really want to bump your zinc, well, boy, um, it doesn't take very long to draw your phosphorus down, a couple, three years. It might take 50 years to draw your zinc down. So be careful if you've already got high phosphorus and you say, boy, I really want to push that zinc. That zinc level is going to stay there for a long time. All right, a uh, question came in from John, and John said, I need to put more sulfur on my ground. I also need to put on some copper sulfate and some zinc sulfate. So I'm wondering, do I count the pounds yep. of sulfur that are in the copper and the zinc as well? I already knew what the question was. Yep, you got to count all your sources. So like in our farm, yeah, we might do copper sulfate. We might do zinc sulfate. We might do manure. We might do a little bit of gypsum. We might put some water treatment lime out. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of different sources all of them have some sulfur in there. We got to add them up. And then the other thing is we want to take a look at our soil's organic matter. That's going to release not much, but a little bit of sulfur every year for us too. So we have a lot of different sources of sulfur. Add them all together. Might need to connect John with our, our next uh, uh, guest. E says, uh, guys, my local co-op does not even have copper sulfate, zinc sulfate, or manganese sulfate. And I would like them to build up my micros. Where can I find them if my local supplier doesn't have them? Is this uncommon, or do you find dealers that just don't handle the micros at all? Sure, there are many that don't handle them. I, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit today, that look, for the fertilizer dealer, you got to stop and think, for the vast majority of people, they are focused on N, P, and K. Nitrogen's number one, usually phosphorus number two, and then there's potassium. So if that's 98% of your sales, well, that's what you're going to focus on with your time, your effort, your resources, everything. And if you aren't selling any manganese sulfate or copper sulfate or some zinc sulfate, you're probably not going to carry it. So that, that's why it ends up happening. So yeah, I, I easy, mean, easy answers are find an agro liquid dealer. You know, find somebody like that. They've got those types of products in liquid. You could buy them in a two and a half gallon jug probably if you wanted to. And you could do it on a small scale or you could buy it in bulk or, or whatever. On the dry fertilizer, a lot of times we'll find totes. So we'll find 1,000 pound or 2,000 pound totes of micronutrients. They're not cheap. Uh, but you think about what kind of use rate you really need to do per acre. Not and much. on a per acre basis, it's not that bad in most cases. Hey, thanks for the question, E. We really appreciate that. Uh, we'll be right back with more of your questions coming up after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Craver back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5 EC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add tough 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress, like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We just wrapped up two days of Ag PhD Soils Clinic, and believe it or not, there are still people here asking questions. We're going to get to some of those questions in a minute. Also, if you have a question for us today, we don't have live phone lines open, but you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, let's take our next question. Uh, Mark in eastern South Dakota. Um, I've got a question on your on the lime. I yep. noticed you don't have uh, aluminum on the metal list. I'm wondering if you had any experience with that. And sure. also, I want to compliment you on your restroom and your food. It's all, <laughs> everything's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. During the break, we were just talking about our facility here, the Morton Center. It's right at the uh, site of the Ag PhD Field Day. 
we had this building built probably, I don't know what it's been now, six years ago, six, seven years ago, something like that. And uh, yeah, we have adequate restroom facilities for lots and lots of people. But anyway, uh, and the food is always good. We have Tony's Catering. Uh, coming back to the aluminum question, where we see, uh, and I, I brought this up just briefly yesterday, so I didn't spend any more time on it uh, than just a quick mention. But what happens, like, let's just take phosphorus, for example. We see phosphorus tie up in high pH soils with, uh, with excess calcium, typically. In low pH soils, like let's say we're down into the fives, a lot of times we'll see phosphorus tie up with iron. When we get that soil pH down into the fours, then we can see aluminum tie up. Aluminum is much more available in those real low pHs. So typically, if, if anybody's ever having any kind of aluminum toxicity or anything like that, uh, or even if, let's say, there is a little aluminum in some type of uh, product that they get to put on their, their farm, um, really the solution is just raise that pH up. Get the lime out there, get the pH up into the sixes, and that aluminum toxicity issue or concern will usually go away. So generally speaking, we don't talk to hardly anybody in this region of the country about aluminum. It, the questions usually come from down south and on the east coast where some people are dealing with really low pHs and quite frankly they just haven't limed as often as they maybe should. So their pH got low, their aluminum toxicity became an issue. All right. All right, next question. Uh, okay, we've got a, I got a 0 to 6 inch soil sample and a 6 to 12 inch soil sample. Both of them, the P2 phosphorus is 38. Okay. But the P1 phosphorus in the top six inches is 22. The P1 phosphorus in the next Seven. six inches down is one. Yep. Okay. So, uh, number one, what do you think could be causing that? What would you think if I strip-tilled some gypsum? Do you think that sulfate down in there or and or the calcium would help? Right now I got about 2,000 parts per million of calcium. Is that right? Uh, and okay. uh, I'm, I'm looking to do a build program here. Okay, so great questions. And let's first step back and explain what this is. So if you're listening today and you say, all right, there's this P1 and P2, what's the difference? P1 is what we call the weak bray test, and that's available today. The P2 test, it, that's a strong bray test. So in other words, they basically... Put uh, more acid into the soil to try and extract even more phosphorus to simulate a whole year's worth of roots excreting acids in the soil. So the P2 is not only what's available today, but what's going to be available throughout the whole what season. should hopefully avail be available next year. So personally, I'm not that worried about it, number one. But number two, I would just say um, 38 parts per million is not like it, it's that much. Now, if it was 380 parts per million and I only had one that's available today, then I'd be thinking much more about sulfur and what can I do to get that stuff available, getting more roots down in the ground, maybe doing more tillage, um, anything like that. So would you can certainly try some gypsum down there. Do I think that's going to help? I don't. I don't think it's going to make a whole lot of difference. I really don't. Because I think, yes, you're going to put some sulfur out there, but I think that's going to be offset to some degree by adding more calcium there because calcium can tie up phosphorus too. So if I was going to try something there, it would either be elemental sulfur or probably ammonium sulfate. 
I think you might have a little bit better result that way than trying some gypsum there. But I mean, you can try all of them if you want and just see what you see. But no, I, I don't. I don't think I'd get all that worried about it. And if I'm on a build program, then I am going to be trying to get some phosphorus down in the ground. Your 38 parts per million in the top six isn't bad. You could keep adding some to the top six. If you want to start building up a little deeper, you can certainly do that too. I'm fine building at all levels at that point. So your, your level isn't super low. It's also not real high where I'm concerned about having too much phosphorus at any level in the soil at this point. Yeah, the other thing I would look at is some of the natural products that, that have phosphorus-solubilizing bacteria. Uh, so yeah, things point. like microcycle or nutricycle is one we probably use the longest. Uh, we have seen a little better phosphorus uptake. Uh, so that might be good. That'll grow with the root system. So as your roots get down into that 6 to 12-inch zone, that'll help somewhat. So I, I'm also thinking... And it costs hardly anything. Yep. Drainage and compaction. We got to make sure we have air getting down there. We, we brought that up on one of our slides today that, hey, if you have air, that makes phosphorus more available. Uh, so between making sure we have good drainage and making sure we've done what we can to try to reduce the compaction, uh, that might make that a little bit more available more quickly. All right, let's take another question. Uh, Nathaniel, West Central Minnesota. I'm looking to do uh, on-planter nitrogen, and there's all kinds of different attachments that do that. Um, what kind of rates and how close can you go to the seed trench with um, different kinds of rates, and does pH have anything to do with that? This is on corn? Yes. Uh, how heavy was the soil? Uh, 20 to 30. Okay. So... Over the last couple days, we've taken different versions of this same question about, well, how much phosphorus can I use? How much can uh, this can I use? How close to the seed can we be? That kind of thing. The key things that we want to think about just in relative terms are how much salt do we have? Well, if it's nitrogen, it's pretty high salt. Uh, how much rain do we have? And then how heavy is our soil? So the more rain and the heavier the soil and the lower salt product we have, the more we can use. So what a lot of people will do is if they want to start pushing the nitrogen rate, so let's just say, for example, you go, all right, I want to put this in two by two. Would I feel comfortable knowing your area, the rainfall you get, heavy soil, would I be comfortable with 10, 15 gallons? Absolutely, I would. If you go, well, I might want to put on 40 or 50, I'd say, nah, I'm not feeling good about that. That's where I would like two by two on each side of the row. I'd probably say split it. And you can try these things. We talked about this in the last couple of days here. If you want to try some stuff on your farm, you'd have to do a lot of digging and see if when the roots hit there, do we have anything that's burning off? But it is going to vary depending on the year and the conditions. And I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. So I, like I say, 10 or 15 gallons, perfectly comfortable with a two by two. You start running up 40 to 50 gallons, that kind of thing. I'm not comfortable with that. And there I'd probably say split it. So that's what I would do. Darren, you got anything different? You well, any I think the, the benefit of banding P and K and non-mobile nutrients in the soil is really high. The yes. benefit of banding sulfur, boron, and nitrogen is less. Much so, less. So it doesn't hurt you to band them, but they do move around a little bit more in the soil yep. than the others. So I'm not super worried about delivering all my nitrogen needs that way as yep. much as I would be potentially with P and K. Right. So you don't have to get carried away with rates. You could start off with, hey, let's try, 
let's try 30 pounds, let's try 60 pounds, let's try 90 pounds, let's just do a few different rates out here and see if we notice anything in the field. Yep. Sometimes we get surprised and it's like, huh, that's even safer than I thought, no problem. And other times it's like, what? How could 30 pounds hurt anything? But, and then we realize, oh, yeah, I need to tweak something in my setup here. Yep, but here's the problem with trying things like that. It only takes one year of disaster to go, oh, what in the world was I doing? And I just lost 50 bushels. We can't have massive mistakes. So that's where I'm always going to err on the really cautious side when it comes to. Which sounds crazy, doesn't it? For the, I, I'm going to put on like 1,200 pounds of potash all in one shot. Oh, no, I'm going to err on the conservative side. Well, some of that, uh, yeah, we want to try on a small scale first. So to Darren's point here, uh, yeah, we're fine banding a little bit of nitrogen, but if you need a bunch more, then just broadcast it. It's no big deal. You can put out with a herbicide or a side dress or a lot of different ways to get nitrogen out. All right, uh, we're taking questions here following the Ag PhD Soils Clinic, and we'll be right back after this. This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... But HPPD-resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Come to Commodity Classic. Commodity Classic. Commodity Classic. Come to Commodity Classic. Please join us in Orlando, Florida in 2023. Join us in Orlando for Commodity Classic. The best and most progressive farmers know Orlando is the place to be. March 9th through 11th, 2023. Discover more at commodityclassic.com. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today we are not in the Morton studio. We are in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. Yes, yes, yes. There's some snow around. I know. We're out in the country here. We got the roads all plowed out. Snow is probably as tall as my pickup coming down some of these roads on each side of the road, but but we made it here safely for the Ag PhD Soils Clinic the last couple of days. Tomorrow, by the way, is the Ag PhD Naturals Clinic. Uh, you can find more details and register at agphd.com. Uh, there is even uh, an online version if you want to check it out that way too. Uh, let's get back to some questions that we've got here in the room. We'll we'll start here next. This is this is Gail from Northeast South Dakota. We normally strip till in the fall, but it was so dry this fall. The ground was so yep. hard. Yep. We didn't get any strip tilling done. So being that P and K move very little is it even worth to broadcast p and k on in the spring or what would you suggest for for spring fertilizing if you're so are you set up with a coulter on that strip till machine or, or are you set up with shanks shanks okay and then my next question is if you put this pnk on broadcast this spring would you plan to no till into it or would you till it first well, we would probably we would try and, and uh, strip till again the next fall again. But if, if we put it, if we broadcast it, yep. we we probably wouldn't work it. Or, or, or yep. would you suggest that we do? You know? <laughs> okay, so we. It's all going to depend on what these soil conditions are this spring too. Now you don't have quite as much snow in in northeast South Dakota than we do, correct? No, we didn't get this last big snow. You got, we had a little more before this last time, but this last one when you, we you got, got a foot enough. down here, we got about two or three. But, yeah, the yeah. ground's all white up there. Yep, yep, you got enough snow. You don't, wanna, don't want us to share, but yeah. you, do. <laughs> you got plenty. Okay, so to your point, yes, P and K do not move into that soil very well. So if you go broadcast it this spring, and let's just say you do no tillage, that P and K is going to lay in that soil surface. You're at risk for loss. And the odds that it's going to get into your plant, very, very slim for this year. Now, eventually, it can help your soil out. But we're just saying most of that money you're going to spend is not going to do you any good in the 2023 season. So if it's me, because we've run into that situation before, not where the ground was so dry in the fall where we didn't do our strip till, but where it was too wet or we were, harvest was delayed or whatever. So we've had a couple years where we couldn't do our fall strip till, so we did it in the spring. Now, you can use a shank, um, but generally speaking, we go a little more shallow in the spring just because um, it's wet and it's cold as we get down deeper and we don't want to create compaction issues or anything like that. So we prefer a coulter in the spring. Uh, but like I say, if the ground is dry enough, you certainly can run with a shank. There have been plenty of guys that have done that. Uh, but yeah, we'd, we would tell you I'd probably, our recommendation would be to continue to strip till, or if you want to broadcast, we'd probably say work it in. So one or the other, that's what we would do. Okay. Take another question. I'm Daniel from Northern Wisconsin, and uh, 
I, as long as my boss, are wondering about tiling in the clay. Yep. Will that work as good as anywhere else? How Will it take how, a lot longer? How heavy is the clay? Do you know? That I'm not 100% sure Okay. On. Fields hold water, though, for quite a while. Yeah, it's similar to modeling clay. Yep. Real dense. Yeah, so we so, have... Sounds like fun stuff to farm, <laughs> yeah, yes, especially when fun. it's wet. Yeah, I know so, we got we got some ground like that here, too, in South Dakota, and a lot of guys will say, we're set up for the dry year because we can hold some moisture out here. We're not set up very well for the wet year. And so tile is certainly one of those ways that you can improve your odds uh, of, of getting some moisture out of your soil in the wet years. Most of our ground is 20 to 30 CEC. We have some that's as high as uh, getting close to 40. We've tiled in all of it. I'm real happy with all of it. It's fine. The first year when we bought a tile plow was 2007. And in this, I think it was the spring of 2008, uh, we did some tiling actually for one of our landlords because the landlord was mo even more excited about the tiling than we were. And he's like, tile my ground first or be, uh, let me be one of the first ones. And so anyway, I just remember we were out on his ground and he has some sand spots out there. But where we were tiling in through some of the low grounds, we start pulling some stuff up and it's like, it's blue clay. I didn't even realize we had blue clay around here. Our dad used to talk about that all the time back in Iowa, that it was super heavy, really held a lot of moisture, everything else. We tiled right through that. That's worked. I mean, that's been fantastic. So I don't care if it's been medium soils we've had, heavy soils, or super heavy soils. As long as you, uh, as long as you do things right, you give it plenty of slope and things like that. It's here's, fine. I'm not that worried about here's it. Here's the challenge, and here's where we see guys having trouble in heavier soils. They just aren't putting the tie lines close enough together. That, that and, and then the slope that I talked about. So we have one field that I'm not real happy with the tiling job that we did, and it's totally my fault. I'm not blaming anybody else because I said, okay, know, this is all I know. Right this is shocking. Brian, you are shocking some of our guests here today. When Brian's like, it's totally my fault, people are like, What? Brian's saying he was wrong ever? I say this all the time, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but I mean, we got to take personal responsibility for whatever we're doing on the farm. And that's why we talk about how to read your own soil test rather than, well, it's a fertilizer dealer's fault or it's this person's fault or that person's fault. I want to be responsible. So, well, and, and then yeah, a I lot of times learn, I'll learn from my you mistakes. Get the, you get the information and you make your call. Yep. So, anyway, here's the story. So this is flat river bottom ground, and we were trying to get by with gravity flow to get that water out. And <laughs> the, the amount of slope that I, I told the guys to put on the tile line was almost nothing. It was probably one inch across the whole field. It just flat out was not enough. And so we learned from that, and so we don't make that mistake anymore. So we make sure we've got a, at least a little bit more slope, especially with our main line. That's the key. And we'll put a lift station in. So in hindsight, I mean, the, and the whole reason was I was trying to save ten or $15,000, well, probably $15,000 between the pump and the lift station and the work and all that. And I should have just spent the money. And then we would have had a system that worked a lot better. So a lot of times we're trying to, as farmers, figure out, well, how do I save money here? But every once in a while, you got to say, look, the best solution here is just spend the extra money, have it over with, put more slope in, create your own slope in a flat field, go down to a lift station, pump that water out. So now that we have experience running a couple lift stations for many years, 
it's not that expensive. And even getting the, the power in wasn't that expensive. It's no big deal. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff we can talk to you about with tiling. We do have an Ag PhD tiling clinic coming up February 8th. So if you want to join us in person, that'd be great, because then you can also talk to a lot of other farmers that are currently tiling, learn from them. We're going to have some equipment companies in too and equipment for you to look at during the tiling clinic. But if you want to live stream that, that option will be available as well. Again, that's on Wednesday, February 8th, our Ag PhD tiling clinic. All right, so again, if you got a question here, just raise your hand. We'll come around to you. Otherwise, let's get back to some of those questions we had from earlier, Darren, on got the live this, stream. Got this one from Jacob, and he said, you talk a lot about building base saturation K. Uh, let's say that you went from 1.5% up to 4%. Yep. How many bushels do you think you gained, or what other things should we be looking for if we do that on our farms? Well, it all depends on what are your other levels. So what we're trying to figure out here ultimately is – what are the factors that are negatively impacting our yield today and what can we do to fix those? So just saying we're going to take our, our K from 1.5% up to 4%, that may not add any bushels if you don't have your phosphorus level right or your zinc or your nitrogen or any of these other things. So for us, where we've gotten the levels up good, uh, I would say going from 1.5% to 4% on K, it's 20 to 40 bushels. It's that big a deal for us. And it means better standability for sure, no matter what. And then in terms of soybean yield, we're seeing more soybean yield as well. It, that usually doesn't show up year one, though. But over time, uh, you know, we're, we're usually getting 5, 10, 15 more bushels on, on soybeans, too. So it's a big deal, but that's if you manage all the other things. So we talked about soil pH as well, besides all these nutrients, uh, salt levels, Thing, uh, even excess sodium levels. So you got to look at everything else, drainage. But if potassium is truly your yield limiting factor and it's still maybe your yield limiting factor at 4%, yeah, I'm very confident in 20 to even 40 bushels on corn. And like I say, better standability. So one of the things I brought up yesterday when we were talking about standability is, you know what? Farming is a lot more fun when we make money. It's also a lot of fun when your crop stands all the time and you don't have these disasters in the middle of the season or late in the season. So have good K levels and farming will just flat out be a little more fun. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this with more Ag PhD Radio. Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeereEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? 
Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton Center today at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. We've been hosting a soils clinic, an Ag PhD soils clinic here for the last couple days. And again, tomorrow we've got a naturals workshop if you'd like to join us for that. We're taking questions from our audience as well as uh, from people sending questions in via email or, uh, or, or even in some cases text. So anyway, let's get back to our question from the audience here. Again, if you could give us your first name and state you're from, that'd be great. I'm Marlon from Northwest Iowa. I have some uh, pH that's in the upper sevens to eights. Yep. And uh, I've been recommended to use gypsum. I've got calcium that's like 70, 75% base saturation. Magnesium's 18 to 20. Okay. CEC's 20, 25. Okay. Are there situations where you would use a, uh, the gypsum instead of elemental sulfur? Well, yes, there certainly are situations we would use gypsum instead of elemental sulfur. Uh, what we are typically looking at is, do we have high calcium levels or low? If we have lower calcium levels, then that's where we like the gypsum better because, yeah, when you put that gypsum out there, you're going to be boosting your calcium. So if you're already at 70 to 75%, I struggle to believe that the gypsum is going to help you a lot. It might. I could be wrong. But, you know, magnesium, if it's 16 18%, um, it's really not that bad. So I, you can try a little bit if you would like to. But 
I, I mean, the big thing that I'm probably thinking about when you say, all right, my calcium's high, my magnesium's up there quite a bit, I'm curious on what your potassium levels are. So like on our farm and what we were showing yesterday is we're bumping those K levels up four or five, six percent, and then obviously that's going to draw down either the magnesium, maybe the calcium, but probably more the magnesium. So like on our farm, if I see, hey, my magnesium's already fine, my calcium's already fine, um, I, I'm looking at the other things. So your pH is high, meaning your hydrogen is zero. So hopefully your sodium isn't getting real high. So that leaves one thing, and that's potassium. So I just want to make sure we're at least at 4% base saturation K. If we're already at that or above, would I consider trying some gypsum? Maybe. I just, I don't, I don't know that there's a whole lot we need to do or change there. I'm probably more focused on phosphorus, on and sulfur, there are a lot of ways to get it. You can go with gypsum if you want, but there's ammonium sulfate, there's elemental sulfur, a lot of ways you can get that. I'm looking at zinc, I'm looking at boron, I'm looking at copper, I'm looking at many other things. I kind of look at calcium, magnesium, the ratio, uh, a lot of times pretty late. In other words, that's one of the last dollars I might spend. I just want to make sure I've got each of the individual nutrients to raise that great crop first, and then I'm probably more focused on that calcium-magnesium thing. So if you want to try some gypsum, fine. I'm all for trying things, but then let's see. Document it and find out, okay, I did this. Did it make me any money this year? And then I'd look at it for the next couple, three years and see, did that pay? So we've had situations somewhat similar to that. We've done it. It hasn't been that great. So I don't think you've got any real problem why you need that gypsum out there. So what we talked about, uh, I don't remember, I think it was yesterday with gypsum. Did we bring up gypsum yesterday or today? Well, whatever it was, sometime in the last couple days. We talked about gypsum maybe with a uh, sodic soil or something like that. If, boy, I need the sulfur to help try to flush out that sodium and I need the calcium because I'm low on calcium, well, then it makes absolute sense where I got to get some gypsum out there because I need both the calcium for sure and the sulfur for sure. In your case, it sounds to me like, I probably don't need that calcium, and I, I don't know where my sulfur level is. I'm going to assume you need some sulfur, but I only need one of the two things, so gypsum might not make the most sense to me. That, that, that's kind of my general thought process. All right, let's get to the next question here. Um, Lachlan from Queensland, Australia. I'm short on zinc and copper. Yep. You said before about spraying copper sulfate yep. out with a sprayer. Yep. Can you also do that with zinc yep. sulfate? Yep. Can you mix the two so I do it in one pass? Probably. Uh, probably. You're probably going to have some burn. Uh, well, so wait. He's I, just no, going to spray I, it on I'm, the soil. Yeah, just on, on the, the soil. soil. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Are they compatible? I'd have to jar test to see with the formulation you got. But Yep. So you could do that. It's just the reason why we typically will go... Yep. Yep. The reason why we'll typically go zinc sulfate with a dry spreader is because we're putting on quite a few more pounds. With the copper sulfate... I mean, it's so little. So that, that's, that's the big difference for what we're shooting for with the copper sulfate and the zinc sulfate. Uh, but is it possible that your zinc sulfate would mix in water depending on the kind you get? Absolutely. Could you possibly mix it with the copper sulfate? Yes. Jar test it. Try it on a small scale. Go from there. And again, like we were saying a little bit ago, if you have copper sulfate anytime in that sprayer, make sure at the end of the day you flush everything out, get it cleaned up well, and then you'll be in good shape. Go ahead. Would 50 pounds of zinc sulfate and 25 pounds of copper sulfate be too much in one application? 
Uh, Are you asking, have we done no. that? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, we I'm have. I'm assuming you've got heavy soil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Like 35. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's so the fun thing about CEC. And a lot of people will say, oh, you don't need to look at your CEC. Yeah, you do, because now here you are on a different continent, and we can kind of compare some notes. Yeah, you got some differences there, but at least we can get a relative idea of how heavy the ground is versus here. Okay, here, here's the reason why a lot of times we'll go separate as well, because I don't need that exact rate across the entire field. And so I want to vary my zinc sulfate rate, and I want to vary my copper sulfate rate. So that's why I got to split them. So I can either do that in dry, uh, and then I can have two compartments, or if I have liquid, then I'd have to do two separate applications because there's no way to have, well, I mean, unless you have two liquid tanks that you could somehow do. But anyway, with zinc sulfate, when you mentioned 50 pounds, that works great through a dry spreader. So that's my first choice with zinc sulfate usually. Dry spreader, it's quick, it's easy. I don't have to worry about the mixing. I definitely don't have to mix it now with copper sulfate. So that makes me also feel a little more comfortable. And then we handle the copper sulfate separately. But we're always going to tell you, uh, variable rate these things because we don't want to overdo them like we've been talking about the last couple of days. Good question. Yep, that's probably our last one here because we've only got a few minutes left. But John came a long way today. John, yeah, uh, where way, are you from? All the way from Pennsylvania. So quite a long drive to get here, but I'm glad to be here. And thank you for the free education. I really do appreciate Thanks. it. You bet. Um, so I want to bring your attention to the um, graph on page 76 here. When does corn need its nitrogen? Yep. Um, I think this is a very useful graph, and I wanted to know where you got it from and if they have other graphs of other crops and yes. other nutrition. Yes. So we got this, and you'll see it right at the bottom there. And I know that I apologize, the print's awful small. Uh, but on page 76, it says Source IPNI, that's International Plant Nutrition Institute. But uh, I, I was saying this earlier today, you can see somewhat similar things from Iowa State University, from University of Nebraska. There are many universities that put things like this out, not just on nitrogen, but on many different nutrients and on multiple crops. So yes, and I, I think this is a tremendously important chart because what we're talking about here is when does the corn need its nitrogen? And why we brought this up today is I just said, look, from V about 9 to V13, the crop needs 25% of its nitrogen. So in total, if we're going after big time yields, you might need 60, 70, 80 pounds of nitrogen in about a two week span. Okay, you gotta have a lot of nitrogen there and ready to go. You can't be late on your side dress. You gotta have that down and in the ground and in a form that's available for that plant. But I, I just, I think it's important to look at these kind of charts for uh, multiple different nutrients. For phosphorus and potassium, the need for corn is a little bit higher earlier in the season. For soybeans, it's a little bit later in the season. So yeah, it's really important to understand the crop you're raising and when it needs all of its different nutrients. Okay, I had a question that came in from Brian. He said, you guys are talking about nutrient stratification and using potentially cover crops as part of the solution. I'm just concerned the cover crops would pull nutrients from down deep and leave them on top. What do you think of that? Well, Brian, if you've got nutrient stratification by definition, you've got lots of nutrition in the top few inches and not much below that. So I don't think you're going to hurt anything when there's hardly anything below and all the nutrients are up top. I think you're much more likely to spread it out, but that is an interesting thought. Uh, and then I got some feedback here from Luke, and he said, you were talking about doing some deeper tillage, maybe just once ever, 
or maybe once every few years. Yep. I think that the University of Nebraska came out with a study yep, they did. supporting that kind of rotational tillage. They did. Even rotational mole boarding. Yeah, and that was, I think, just a year ago. So it was long-term no-till, and basically their conclusion was, if you just do one-time mole board and not often or anything else, it doesn't really hurt anything, and sometimes it can help a lot. So we're not advocating for that or anything else. You do whatever you want to do on your farm, but we're just big believers in we got to have fertility in the right spots and the right forms. Go to agphd.com, check out our full lineup of winter workshops, including the Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening to our radio show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.